Hello everyone, this is Billy B.J. Jones, creator of Everyday Folks Radio, host of B.J. Speaks, and author of Everyday Folks Books. Today is September 11, 2020, a very special day, a day of remembrance. And we, we send here from the Everyday Folks family a shout out to all the loved ones who've lost their lives during the 9-11 tragedy 19 years ago, as well as to those families who are still enduring and to those who were on the front line, men and women who helped serve our great nation to help us recover. Our heart goes out to you. And also a special shout out to some very special folks. I could, I'd be remiss if I didn't recognize the South Florida Writers Association for all that you're doing. You're doing so much. When don't you stop? <laughs> so thank you for all of your love and support. The next, I know your meetings are coming up and we want to advocate that the meetings are the first of each month and you can visit SouthFloridaWriters.org for that information. Also, special thanks to all of our previous guests. A shout out to my dear colleague, Mr. Nadim Tabsh, who is my co-host of our new series, which is called Fright Talk, which takes place every other Friday evening. And we talk about everything horrific and suspenseful. So our next show is on September 18th. Visit us on everydayfolksradio.com for more information. And thank you to all of our loving sponsors, um, John Stalter out there, his health group, this segment is for you. If you're looking for health and, and, and health opportunities, please let us know here at Everyday Folks and we can, you can visit our webpage where you can reach John Stalter and his amazing team and they can consult you in the right direction. But today is about someone very special. Everyday Folks Radio has been around for nearly five years. And in this early days, we had the pleasure of interviewing some phenomenal leaders, writers, and independent thinkers, and of course, special everyday people. This next individual embodies all that in itself. Dr. Larry Johnson, let me do this right. Dr. Larry D. Johnson Jr. began serving as a sixth president of Phoenix College and Americopa Community College in July 1st, 2018. Phoenix College serves approximately 17,000 students annually and is designated as a Hispanic serving institution. Dr. J Johnson is a first-generation college student and passionate student-centered leader who has served community colleges for more than 14 years. Previously, he served as campus provost and chief academic officer at St. Louis Community College, Forest Park Campus. Dr. Johnson also has served in various leadership and teaching roles such as associate dean, department chair, student concerns officer, and of course, faculty member. He serves on a number of advisory boards and commissions to include the AACC Commission on College and College Readiness and the National Council of Black American Affairs, the Western Region, to name a few. Dr. Johnson is the author as well of a number of publications to include one we talked about on the show some time ago, an autobiography titled Memoirs of a Young Black Scholar Serving and Coping with Loss, very timely. He holds an undergraduate degree from Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University a graduate degree and postgraduate certificate from Florida State University, and a doctorate degree from Clark Atlantic University. It is my honor to have you back with us for this reunion segment. Dr. Johnson, how are you, sir? I am so good, Dr. Jones. Thank you so much for the invitation. Good to be reconnected again. And I have to say, I am so proud of you. And I, I said this to you before, and I say it again. You are one of the most amazing, sharp, intelligent, forward-thinking leaders I know. And I say that as a dear colleague and friend, I salute you and all of your, your accomplishments. 
and wishing you the continued success in your journey. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. So it's unique here, Dr. J, because to bring someone back of your stature, there is so much going on. And I know what's going on because we follow and we stay in touch through over the years. But you're doing so many incredible things, especially in these unprecedented times. So I'd like to start with that question. How are you? How are you as it relates to the reality in which we're enduring today in America? You know, I, I am doing well, but I will say that this time that we're living in, and you mm -hmm. hear people describe it as two pandemics, it's the health crisis, but also the social and economic, um, I would say unrest that we see, you know, with the killing of George Floyd and countless other individuals. It has put me in a place of really introspection mm -hmm. in terms of am I doing all that I can do? Uh, am I not doing enough in terms of my role as a leader and what more can I do to amplify uh, education, number one, as I believe to be the opportunity that will really break the bands, if you will, of poverty. And also personally, am I taking the opportunity to really reflect on doing the things that really make me happy and the things that give me life? Because we get so caught up in the day-to-day -day of mm -hmm. working these jobs and then tragedies happen and you realize that your, your life can you know, be cut off at any time and, and have you really enjoyed um, life and have, we, have you really enjoyed and connected with persons, family members or reconnected with family members and friends? You know, Because this pandemic has shown you that your friend and family member they contracted COVID-19 we, we become so disconnected. We're seeing them right. through the lens of uh, FaceTime, if you will, and many persons have lamented about seeing their family members, you know, for the last time on FaceTime. So it's just really caused me to pause and just think holistically about, am I truly where I need to be at this point in time? And what more do I need to do to be whole as an individual, but also as a leader? That's a great, great start. And what you're speaking is my conscience. A lot of the things that we're, we're doing, we recognize that we're in very, very, very fortunate circumstances. We're able to work, we're employed, and, but yet we're bothered. We're bothered because there is so much that needs to be done. Mm -hmm. And there are so many um, challenges, if not um, perspectives or adversaries that we need to keep in mind. We've got the microscopic enemy called pandemic, right? And then we also have the physical or, or human entity, which is one another, man, our fellow kind. And so wrestling with all that, it's a bit much. And, and somehow we're doing it and it's pushing us to be better, really more critical in, in our reflection of who we are and what we need to be doing. Because this next decade, the next 10 years is a power decade, not just for us, but for humanity, honestly. And so, as you're going through this journey, you've been through an incredible journey professionally as well. And from uh, when I met you, you were an associate dean. You've taken on several executive leadership roles, which have now led to your presidency. So what lessons have you learned along the way? And, and this has only been, what, six, seven years now. Yeah. What, what lessons have you learned the way if you've been progressing through this journey? And how have you, what, what introspection do you have for yourself as it relates to it? Wow. So I, I will say, you know, I, I have to pinch myself oftentimes uh, when I looked at, I was just at Broward in 2014. And, mm -hmm. 
you know, I, I really attribute that to really being in a place where I've had the right leaders to pour into me. Um, I remember leaving Georgia and I left Georgia because I was a vice president finalist maybe four or five times. It would always come down to either me and one other, um, you know, per candidate mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. three other candidates. And I remember a leader telling me at that time, and, and, I, and I was offended by it, you will not get where you want to be because of meritocracy. And I thought that if I am smart, if I attended the conferences, if I, you know, wrote the peer-reviewed articles and, and did all these extracurricular right, right. activities, then I would be able to rise to that place and be ready for these positions. And I was offended, but as I have matured in my profession, I, I kind of understand a little bit more about what that leader was saying is that you can't get to a role as the CEO of an organization, especially in higher education, unless you have people who can vouch for the work that you've done. Absolutely. It's not enough for you to say on your resume, your CV, that you've increased through the persistence, completion, and engagement, and, and all of these other metrics that uh, we look at. But you need leaders to say, I know that he has done this work. I know that he can do this work. And allow me to share examples that will speak to him, not only as a leader, but holistically as a person of integrity, and, and, I, and I get that now. So what I've gained over the last, I would say, a couple of years mm -hmm. that I have to be true to myself. You know, I have to truly arrive to the job in my authentic self. Mm -hmm. I have to be honest with you. I was a little fearful about really applying to roles of presidency because I was single, you know, and I was told that most college boards and most jobs are looking for you to be married with a family, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, heteronormative aspect mm -hmm. of what we know of what society likes to place on us, right. especially as men of color. But then I woke up and I decided that if I am going to really make the systemic changes, the impact changes for students of color and men of color, then I wanted to break that mold. I wanted to be an example of, you know, competency, having the, the accolades and the pedigree to be able to compete for these roles, but to show people that without, you know, saying that I, I'm, I'm wedded or with kids and have that, right. that, that normal, if you will, right, right. structure, uh, that I could still do this job. So I've learned to be my authentic self, to not sacrifice who I am because of the societal pressures, but I've also understood the importance of being able to in those spaces be vulnerable mm -hmm. uh, that mm -hmm. was a place that i i was not vulnerable you know and I, in my book i talked about yes, being vulnerable mm -hmm. but i did not really demonstrate that as a leader and right. i realized over the years that if i am truly to engage with faculty and truly to engage with staff in the community i had to show myself you know, as, as much as I was comfortable sharing so that people will get to know me, they'll understand my values, they'll understand the things that are most important to me professionally and personally. So that's something else that I've, I've learned in, in this whole, I would say, realm of being authentic, authentic, authenticity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've also gained insight around just uh, patience, you know, patience in that when you arrive at an institution or an organization, you see so many things that you want to change. Uh, you see so many things that can be changed and you may have the influence to change them, 
but I've learned that it takes time to truly understand organizational culture. It's uh, really important to understand the history of the institution and then to get those small wins. So for me, it's more about now, when I enter into the next organization, what is the infrastructure already in place? Right. How can I build upon that legacy? Right. And how can I truly find who are the influences of the organization and be able to really get to know them, what they value, and bring them along as partners uh, with this uh, transform transformative ideas that I may bring, but not come in saying, I know all the answers. Right? And that's never been my approach. But I think over the, the years, I've learned patience through uh, taking time to understand more about the students, the faculty, the staff, the community, and then after some period of time, then work with the team uh, who reports to me or that uh, works alongside me to really identify. So we have all of this information mm -hmm. about organization. What is it that we collectively want to change? Not I, the president, but what is it that we can do? How do we view equity? How do we you know, do, view diversity and inclusion? and come up with shared, a shared vision and shared understanding so that we can all move forward together. So those are some lessons that I've learned uh, from, I would say, uh, 2014, the present mm -hmm. about being, leader, be, being a leader, being a mm -hmm. servant leader, being a transformative leader, but also about you know, just being whole as a person. It's interesting. You, you bring up several things that I personally thought you always had in you. Which were these qualities? Because I've always seen you're so polished and so true, and just so dishonest and thought forward thinking. I remember, and I want to share this with our listeners. I remember the very first day you wanted to start the festival of music, film, literature, and art at our college. And as you know, it is now entering its sixth, if not seventh, iteration of the show. It's doing so well. We just had a meeting a couple of days ago, and we're so delighted that we're living in that dream, that vision you had. But what you did was so amazing. You amassed the, all of us, you got us together. So what does this look like? Because if we have buy-in, then we're more likely to contribute. And you provided the support. You gave the vision, at least the vision of, hey, I want this to exist. But you guys paint that picture. How do you see yourself? How do our students value that? And I remember how you framed it so well. And I use it to this day as like almost the mantra of the entire event when I'm talking about what it is. And it's, that is the piece that I share because, well, you already had it in you. It was a matter of cultivating for you to acknowledge it. And the higher we go in leadership, I always say there's loneliness in leadership. Mm. There's, lot lo there's loneliness in leadership. It's not that loneliness is a bad thing, but you start recognizing many people either, A, they put leaders on certain pedestals. There are obviously a gatekeeper expectations to being a leader that kind of keep you sometimes a little um, distant from folks in ways that you probably don't like from the previous roles that you may have had, right? And so as a result, the stereotypes and the hype begins as it relates to that. But I've always felt that you stay humble and true to that. And you were very good at knowing how to take your pulse on circumstances to know, wait a minute, how does this A help the person? Because you always put other people first. But also, how can this also benefit me? How can I grow in this process? I always felt you always had that inner voice because I remember our talks and our conversations about that. And, and I remember something you said in your, in your book, your autobiography. You experienced some incredible losses in your time, but you turned those limits into lemonade. Yeah. Not only you, but your siblings as well. I remember that conversation very distinctly, and I use it as an example in all my classes. And so now that you 
look back at that work that you published, right? Because it was one of your most, I, I feel one of your greatest creative pieces because it was not academic, it was all Dr. Johnson. So people could get that backstory, not because it was about you, but I could identify with that because I was a little black boy too, who also went through some loss. And so now that you have written this book and it's out there in the universe and you reflect because you lived the life and now memorialize it, do you look back on some of those moments, perhaps in those in the storyline itself, where you say, you know what, I've evolved from this or learned from this even more because I went through this, perhaps? You know what, Billy? Uh, if I can say Billy. Yeah, please. I want you to call me Billy, of course. Malady to so Billy. If, if mm -hmm. I speak on, on that, uh, that is a really good question. Mm -hmm. You know, I actually put the book down for a while. And, and when I say put it down, mm -hmm. I didn't focus on it. It was there, but it wasn't there. I, as of recent, reposted about it. I remember. It. I saw I, it. I was thinking about, okay, the pandemic has happened. And, and it made me think about all of the young men mm -hmm. that have come to me. I've received messages on social media say, hey, I read your book and I want to be mentored by you. Uh, I, I, women, you know, have even right. conversely have said, hey, I, I want to know more about this whole process of healing. The book for me at the time, whether people know it about, it was my way of truly healing and being sane. I didn't write it to really make money because the book has not made money because I have mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. it way. For mm -hmm. me, it was truly about I need to be healed. I have some things that I am wrestling with, I'm struggling with, and I really need to get this out on paper. And being a literature major, I've always read, you know, that those, those great uh, works of art and how readers really divulge, you know, the, their inner thoughts and their feelings. And, and, you know, not all the time the story ended pleasantly, you know, as mine has ended or is ending, and we're still writing that story. Right. But for me, it was really a way of that, that catharsis. Yeah. You know, Aristotle yeah. talked about that ritual, that cleansing. And for me, it had, it had to happen that way. So when I look back on it now, I am a better person after having written that book because I was able to really wrestle with and then confront and then overcome mm. any of those challenges that I talked about in the text from emotional abuse and physical abuse, loss of mom, you know, the matriarch of the family. And when I look at all of the young men and women that have read that book from then to present, mm -hmm. it, it confirms that I had to write that text, not just for me, but at the time I thought I was writing it for me, but it portends what I later learned that it was really not about me. But it was about all of those countless young men that I mentor now and young women and, and seasoned men and women around, you can still be successful and not allow what you experience to be a crutch, what you experience to be an impediment to your success. So for me, it's really not now about, it's empowering. You know, mm -hmm. persons will say, well, you were very raw in, in that text. You really shared some very intimate moments. Are you concerned about, you know, masculinity and, you know, we, we get so yeah, caught up in yeah. these, these, these norms of, I said, no, I, I wasn't concerned about that because I really wanted people to know the experience. 
and countless people can now relate to the experience. And when they see the role that I'm in now, I want them to know that all of those things happen, but they were the part of my life that has helped to really confirm the work critical, but also helped me um, during my maturation period, not as an adolescent, but into my adulthood, but also more importantly, into my uh, professional leadership development as a servant leader, because I always now believe in how can I really serve the community? How can I look back on those experiences of lack and things I did not have that I talk about in that text? Mm -hmm. So now that drives how I work with my team in terms of always putting them first and putting students first and why I so enjoy working with our students who are first gen and underserved because I see myself in them and it's the representation of everything I talked about in the book. So it's really me coming full circle as an adult and saying, I saw, see myself in this mm -hmm. young student athlete. Mm -hmm. How can I pour into him or her my story so that they not, you know, pity me, but they can see it as a way out. They can see it as a way of encouragement so that if they've gone through similar tra traumas, similar circumstances, they can see someone live and in person that has gone through that and has still been able to use that as more of the catalyst to their success present day. In, in the book that, that Dr. Jones is referring to, folks, I'm gonna be placing a link on our website for everydayfolks.radio.com and billypaujones.com. It's titled Memoirs of a Young Black Scholar, Surviving and Coping with Loss. When you go to the page of who I'm supporting, obviously you know who I'm supporting. I want you to go there and check out this work. We're gonna place a link to it and pick it up today because it's a phenomenal work. Like, like Dr. J said, it's, a, it's, it's very um, authentic, it's raw, it's true. And I don't think there's any better realism that we can get with that because you live this story. And it takes a lot of conviction and commitment and, and kudos to you for that, for being able to stand in your truth, to be able to surrender that because we all know that as you become a leader, we elevate ourselves you know, by staying on the shoulders of others naturally. But we also recognize that also comes at a price sometimes. And so now as an educational leader for you, Doc, you have made some incredible decisions in your lifetime and still some to make, right? And what do you think? I'm going to get your advice on this. What do you think are some things that today's educational leaders need today? If folks are interested in going into leadership in any capacity, department chair, faculty leader, principal, dean, provost, president, there's so many move, moving um, leaders, exact, execs in the process. What do you think that educational leaders need today in order for them to grow as leaders in their respective capacities? Yeah, you know, I, I, that's a good question. I, I would say we need to go back to basics and mm -hmm. really have empathy. Mm. We cannot lead an organization unless we have empathy and empathy means that we have to learn mm -hmm. culture of the organization, but most importantly, we have to learn the people who are working with us. Because oftentimes we come in and we begin to make changes as leaders, and I see this often, but we don't engage with the most critical stakeholders that are a part of the organization. So that's one. I think we have to have empathy as leaders, but we also uh, have to take time to truly understand the mission, the vision, and the values of the organization. We apply to these jobs and we see mission, vision, values, but do we truly understand what that means and how our personal values align to that? So if we are at a community college and the mission is about access and success, 
what does that mean? You know, I now ask, you know, persons when I'm interviewing them, talk to me about the mission and vision of our college as a place of access and success and knowing that we are Hispanic serving, what does that mean to you? Because that's critical in that if persons who are working at an organization do not understand the clientele that you serve, do not understand the right. students that you serve, how can they truly then execute a plan without having that understanding? So that's another thing. I think that persons also uh, need to really begin to understand uh, the not only the core mission and having empathy, mm -hmm. but I think they need to also have the not the, the, the level of education because we can get degrees and, and that's all great and that's all good. But I think that we need to take some op an opportunity to truly find mentors. And these are basic things. Right, find right. mentors who are doing the work. Mm -hmm. I don't think that that happens as readily now. You know, with many leaders, we, we apply to jobs, we get them and then we're there and we, we feel like we've arrived. But even now, I still have mentors that I call if I'm struggling with something, but I also now call them before I make a decision, you know, because I want their feedback. I want to see how they would respond, you know, to this particular perspective or this <laughs> question that I may have a decision that I'm about to make. So I think that we, we have to be receptive to constructive feedback. Uh, there, that was hard for me as a, as a, I would say, a growing leader at first, you know, because I thought, well, you know, people are only criticizing me because I'm, I'm 30 years younger than them and I'm the department chair. But I had to really understand that as a leader, we have to be humble. And those were humbling experiences. I told my team when I arrived, I understand the role of a CEO of a college does not engender friends. And, and they were shocked when I said that, but it is the truth because there are very critical decisions that I will have to make. Right. And as a leader, decisions to decline an enrollment, that may result in so many, a myriad of decisions that we have to make at institutions or at organizations. So I think that that's important as well, having that mentorship. So being empathetic uh, as a leader, understanding the institutional mission, vision, and values, but certainly having mentors that we could go to uh, that can really help to hear our thoughts, you know, brainstorm with us around how we can uh, maybe make arrive at a different decision or how we, you know, if we messed up, you know, being okay with the fact that you will fail at right. some things. I think that's maybe a fourth quality leaders need to have. It is okay to fail. Yes, it is. It is yes, okay it to is. fail, but you have to not only fail, but you have to ask yourself, okay, I failed at this. Mm -hmm. I didn't quite meet the metric that mm -hmm. we set. So what is it that we could have done differently? Mm -hmm. You know, was there someone at the table who probably shouldn't have been at the table? Or was did we omit a group of persons who could have contributed to the vision? So I think those are some, some things or some, I would say, um, nuggets that I would share that our today's leaders just need to really go back to base. Mm -hmm. Because the, the foundation, foundational principles around leadership have never changed. We strive of new meanings to them, servant leadership and transformational leadership and transactional leadership, all of those leadership philosophies. But if you are a person that is just, you understand the mission of the organization, you understand that you have to value your stakeholders and get their input, those are just, that's the, a basic fundamental principle around being an effective leader and being an active listener. All of those I think are fundamental. And we, we get so caught up in the philosophies and the grandeur and, 
and the, and the rhetoric and the narrative around leadership when we just have to really sit back and think about if I made this decision, or if someone made a decision about this particular topic, about my, my mm -hmm. growth, development, professional, mm -hmm. right. how would I feel about it? And, yeah. and I don't think we oftentimes, you know, do that when we're making decisions as leaders. So that's what I would say. I think it was great. And I'm going to flip what I asked you from another perspective. So you, you, you provided these, um, these recommendations and uh, tips, if we can call them that to these leaders, what can the community do? You know, those are constituents who are watching these leaders. What role or aspect can they do or how can they contribute to the growth of these leaders? Any thoughts on that? You know, and that, that's a really good question. I believe our community is, they can be very pivotal to the success yes. or the failure of a leader. And, and I'll give an example. When I arrived to Phoenix, uh, the chancellor at the time, Maria Harper Marinick, mm -hmm. she partnered with the community to host a welcome reception for them. And that welcome reception were all of the key leaders throughout the valley. Mm -hmm. And that was critical because then it was really up to me to engage, not only engage those leaders, but to also build that rapport with them to right. share with them, you know, the the value of the mm -hmm. organization. They, they already knew about the college, but it was really about them getting to know me. And I believe in getting to know me, they, they felt that way. I was receptive to their ideas. They felt that, you know, I was really passionate about the students and the organization. And it was then the community's, and it still remains the community's responsibility to support not only the institution, but to support my growth and my success. If I am doing something that is not living up to the mission and, you know, and the reputation of the college president, it is the community's, uh, I would say it is really incumbent upon them to pull that leader by the coattail and say, okay, well, have you thought about doing this? That's right. And I provide my perspective here and a leader that does not engage his or her community, I believe is probably on a, a spiral down in terms of their their success and their longevity with an organization. I believe in times of uncertainty and times of, of calamity, if an organization, depending on the type of organization from higher education or post-secondary education or even K through 12, if your community supports you, if they are really rallying behind you, I mm -hmm. think that can help you weather any storm, but you have to engage them. Yeah. If they don't feel like they know you, when you fall into some type of, you know, political something or a decision is made and persons want to vote, vote you out, I think it's being incumbent upon the community to say, no, I know him, I know her, I know what they stand for, and I stand with them. Mm, and I think that is, and, and therefore, you're advocating for something very true. I think empathy is, is reciprocal here, right? I think in times that we're in now, there's one thing that I have learned is I have changed uh, quite a bit. I've grown a bit since the pandemic. These past half a year has been quite remarkable, quite transformational. And one thing I started realizing is what really matters? Yes, I want my students to be able to understand that there are deadlines and expectations for work, that leaders have to do what they need to do. More than ever, I think leaders are in one of the most critical roles, the most critical roles in our society. If we don't have the right people at the, at, at, at the helm, we're in trouble, folks. And I, and I appreciate your saying that because I've seen both worlds and I am so sensitive to that. Mm -hmm. and, I, and when I hear, 
And, and often when I hear sometimes, and, and you speak very truly in, in the empathy and the engagement aspects, especially, I hear a lot of folks sometimes have criticism. When you're at the top, there's always criticism. There's so many eyes and sets of opinions about the situation. But at the end of the day, that person's still human. That person is someone's son. That person has um, interests, needs. We don't know what that person may be enduring. And here we are casting stones, even if they're metaphorical. And I think the more that we do that, even from a community standpoint, we really got to take the time and really evaluate the circumstance, the individual, understand his or her contributions to move forward. And I appreciate your doing that because the more leaders who do that naturally and make that organic among his constituents, the more likely or less likely it is that these situations that do come up will occur. And when they do, people are willing to talk and say, hey, listen, or even inform, right? And, and you know, as you're moving forward and growing in all of this, you've done so much, but what keeps you going? What keeps you going and doc every day? You know, that, that is a, a great question. And, and that is a question that I'm trying to answer mm -hmm. every day. I will tell you that to know that I am in a position where I can influence outcomes for countless first-gen, marginalized, and underrepresented communities, that's truly um, what keeps me going. Because I, I will say sometimes on the weekend, I'm excited about getting to work on Monday because there's an idea, a new idea that I, I may have on a share. Or, you know, I'm ready to receive the data around this particular initiative that we've implemented, I, I would like to see, you know, where are we, you know, look at those benchmarks, how we move mm -hmm. the needle. So for me to see our community change, that empowers me uh, to be in a place where the college is in the media for something positive, mm -hmm. that keeps me going. So I, I think there's a, there's a seminal uh, relationship between uh, my personal and professional life, I think they're one and the same because if the college is doing well personally, I, I'm really happy about that, you know, because um, I don't have any kids as of yet. So it's really, you know, the college and having uh, friendships and being able to really engage, uh, you know, with my siblings, you know, th those are the things that keep me going. But most of the time it's really seeing the college and the students doing great work to receive an email from a faculty member mm -hmm. to say, hey, you encouraged me to apply to NYSAB uh, to present. Hey, I, I was able to be accepted. That gives me joy to have a student say to me, I met you at a minority male initiative from the National Council for Black American Affairs seven years ago. Do you remember that? I'm now graduating with my master's degree. That empowers me. It so does. It me, does. again, that, it, it empowers me personally. It keeps me going personally but it also keeps me going professionally because it lets me know that the position that I have signed up for, mm -hmm. that I have devoted my, mm -hmm. my being to is really helping someone um, life change for the better. Hmm. Well, I know all that you just said, you find the time to help others and listen. And the art of listening, I think it's a lost art. A lot of folks aren't listening. We're quick to, 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 to talk or speak or communicate, but they are good listening intently. It's very important. And good leaders, I think the more, the more high profile or surface you become in a role, the more important that is because good listening is so important. You've achieved so much. I mean, so much in, in, in your, your, your youth and, and so much to come, right? 
Is there anything that you haven't done yet, professionally or personally, that you haven't done yet that you'd like to do? Um, gosh. So I will say one of the things that I had not done prior mm -hmm. to March, that I devoted my, um, I would say my first five years of my career to teaching. Mm -hmm. I love that because teaching, being a faculty member, really helped me to better understand how to advocate for students in the role of president and work with faculty as well. Right. And I always wanted to go to Paris. I talked about Western civilization. I've talked, talked about the Louvre and, you know, all of these great artists and, and, and playwrights and I was finally able to go. So that was one of my, I would say, one of my bucket lists. Mm -hmm. I, I was able to go to Paris. I was able to go to London in a week's time. Although it happened at the, as the pandemic was, was coming upon us, if you will. So I would say that I feel like I have done to this point in my life, and I'm 39 now, I, gosh, I have done most of the things that I've desired to do. And I was just having a conversation with a friend. I said, you know, I'm 39. And, you know, I've been fortunate. I've been blessed to become the president of a college at 36. Yes. And, you know, that's a the typical age for most presidents, maybe 40s, early 50s. Mm -hmm. So what am I going to do for the next 25 <laughs> years? I was like, I, I don't know if I want to be a president for the next 25 years. So I'm now beginning to have that conversation about what's next. You know, I've been a president now. This is my third year at mm -hmm. Phoenix College, Maricopa Community College. And, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, after this, what next? Mm -hmm. I want to uh, transition to an organization to be do more advocacy and policy mm -hmm. work that supports Supports uh, post-secondary education. Uh, so, like a you know, uh, Department of Education at the state or the federal level. I don't know, but I'm beginning to think about that now in terms of how can I be of greater support and what role could I be in that will provide more global impact? Because one of my goals is to certainly do work locally and state, but I also want to make a global impact. Right. And I have to define, you know, what does that mean in making a global impact? Because I believe that there are countless students, not only our minority students, but there's the students who are aging in and aging out of foster care. They're the students who are the opportunities for youth, the 16 to 24 year old students who are not in school and they're not at work. We have organizations who are helping these different populations and pockets but what role could I be in? What, which boards can I sit on where I can amplify the need for more collective impact instead of a siloed approach to how we are truly meeting the needs for many of these special populations? So for me, I'm beginning to think deeper about how can I make more uh, systemic change right, right. in terms of really closing the economic gap and closing, you know, the, the health disparities and bringing more awareness to our marginalized communities. So I think for me, I, I'm beginning to have that conversation about what is the next 10 to 15 years to look like for me? Can I do that work within a college setting? Uh, do I need to look at a nonprofit organization? And, right. and where are the partnerships and the parity right. where I can truly uh, accomplish those goals? I always say too much is given, much is required, right? Yeah. And what you're saying here is very true. You recognize you're in a good place. 
and, and you really, you know, you've acquired so many great things, but you recognize the power and the gifts that you have bestowed. And that is so wonderful that you're really seeing yourself. Now it's time to really roll up our sleeves and get the work done. I've already seen you doing that, but even more so now, it sounds to me, it's, it's like a, a new era or, or renaissance for you in a sense. But now you've already have these other things behind you, which are skills and experiences that you can build upon to help serve in the capacities that you want to. That is so awesome. And that brings me to the creative aspect, Doc. Um, do you find time to write? I mean, do you still write in the midst of everything going on? How does that, how does that writing process work for you now today you know, as you navigate and, and also help and engage so, with so many? You know, I honestly have not had the opportunity, but what I am learning to do now mm -hmm. to partner with, for example, my faculty and staff. So we are doing amazing work around basic needs. So I told my team, I said, hey, you know, let's share with the higher ed community the great work that we're doing. I will partner with you on this particular assignment. So I may write a section of the work and may not be responsible for the entire work. And what that has allowed me to do is really reawaken, you know, that 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 creativity because I'm now sharing the process. It's not just about me writing a work and I'm the only author, but I've learned the power of uh, really connecting with other authors of a, a specific work, and it still has the same end result that I've been able to share my voice, share my talent around you know a topic that i'm interested in there is one particular piece that i did author and it was right after uh, the killing of george floyd i wrote an open letter to the college community mm -hmm. that letter was really from the heart it allowed me to be creative it allowed me to really just pour into the campus my thoughts about what was taking place um, and it was a transparent approach of being a black man in society being a leader of an organization that's the first African-American male in the college's 100 years, which we're celebrating our 100 years amazing. of history. Wow. So I, I reflected on all of that and, and what, you know, this civil unrest and these, this racial unrest meant for me. And it truly allowed me to then author a piece that I, I didn't need, you know, that secondary author because this was all about my experiences as a as a black man and being able to truly uh, conceptualize right, all of that as right. a leader, as a black man, you know, and, and that was critically important for me. So I find these times where I have those, those spurts of, you know, innovation in terms mm -hmm. of writing, but I also am really, truly channeling how can I partner with my faculty, my staff, my friends who are about different topics and how can we collectively share our talent and share our expertise on certain topics. So I try and make time to at least do something a mentor told me many years ago, try and publish at least two articles a year. So I've been successful in at least getting one to two out over the last couple of That's years. A I try That's and a find yeah, I really try and find that time to do that because it keeps me fresh. As a literature right. major, you know, if, you, if you're not thinking critically all the time about works of art and you know, you, you, I'm so in the day-to-day -day of leading the college and working with all of these different stakeholders. Sometimes that is my, my break away from that day-to-day that -day to really allow me to just think and, and to just be in that innovative space and to come up with topics 
topics I may just write the title for. Right. And I can revisit them maybe months later until I'm ready to truly birth whatever that is. And, and sometimes things like national pandemics and racial unrest is then it becomes the impetus that allows you to truly birth out, if you will, uh, that work of art that you've really been holding on to. Oh gosh, this is you, you, you just you got so many ideas for me going. And the questions that I want to share with folks, some of the questions that I'm receiving today, normally we do these segments live and we have live callers and emails and, and media feeds. This one's different. And it's different because of the fact that it's a special intimate moment for us to really get to the heart. But I, I have to share with Dr. Johnson, I did leak to some of our loyal listeners a few of these questions. So some of the questions that are coming in are chiefly their own. So our over 8,000 listeners that we have here for folks who are just excited. And some, actually one lady made a comment um, that she said, I remember Dr. Johnson's show when his book came out four years ago. And you were like at episode three, if I recall. I think it was like second or third episode within our entire Every Everyday Folks Network. So she has a very important question for you. Listen to this. What do you look forward to each day? I look forward to, gosh, that's a good one. I look forward to knowing that the decisions that I have made mm -hmm. are truly helping a person to change their socioeconomic status. Mm -hmm. It's helping them to uh, be prepared for the workforce, helping them to be prepared for transition to a college or a university. Mm -hmm. And hopefully those, those are the things that, that, that I look forward to daily. If, if I can hear that and receive you know, a, a message or a note or a text or an email saying, that as a result of my actions, this is the outcome that has resulted in this person's life, then I look forward to that. I, I look forward to persons uh, who have served with me as faculty, who I am able to provide a reference for and they become deans. I, I look forward to really waking up every day and having the influence to be able to help somebody. And, and that's just who I am at the core. It you is. Know, there's this song about if I can help somebody along the way, then my living would not be in vain. But exactly. those are words for me. I embody that. It is who I am. People will send me messages on LinkedIn. Oh my God, you're a president, blah, blah, blah. Can I have 15 minutes of your time? Absolutely, because I did the same thing. Mm -hmm. Every position that I moved into from chair to dean to provost to president, I will look to people in those roles and I will say on LinkedIn, can I have 15 minutes of your time? Can you just quickly share your story? And I remember one particular president mm -hmm. and he's in Georgia in Macon. And he said, Larry, do not allow your age to define what you can become. Mm -hmm. And when he said wow. that to me, I was a department chair. Mm -hmm. I was probably about 28, 29, mm -hmm. because I had always heard people say, well, you need to be in this role for five years. Right. I had a senior leader tell me that you need to be in this role for five years and then maybe, just maybe, you'll be ready for that, uh, that presidency. Well, that person you know, shared that with me in 2014 and said I should have been in that role for five years. Well, five years later, I'm the president of a college. And, and, and I say that not as boasting, right, but what I, I say that to say to people that you don't allow anyone to define your success. 
when you know, and I have to get a little spiritual with this part, mm -hmm. go for it. Faith based. When you know who you are and whose you are, the things such as age and the lack and the deficits, you find that if you position yourself, then you will be able to move into those appropriate roles that you desire to. And it may not be within someone else's time frame of what they believe, but it's all about your faith in yourself and knowing that you possess the talent, you possess the charisma or whatever it is, whatever those characteristics that organization is looking for, but you have the inner faith to know that, yes, I may be this age, but I can still do the job. Mm. And I'm more, more competent to do the job than being any of my competitors. And I have arrived to that mindset and I've taken that with me and it has served me well over the last 16 years in higher education. Mm, that's so awesome. Congratulations to you. You know, your story mirrors very much my own. I remember being told I was 29 at the time when I became an apartment chair and I was told a very similar thing. And at one point I thought, honestly, that it, you know, and from a perspective, I thought that was a racial concern mm -hmm. because I also understood who and what I represented and the diversity of what was there or not at that time. But then as I mature, I start recognizing, yeah, that's an aspect of it. But also, was I ready? And the it's not only about the opportunity season us, but are we ready for it, right? Mm -hmm. And like you said, if we don't take that pulse and identify and align ourselves to whatever it may be, folks, and this is for all of our listeners, you know, we're advocating for you to know thyself and, and know what thyself needs and what that, that, what that includes in terms of your connection to a universe or understanding. However, that works out for you. You had a good sense of that from an early age because I remember what you said in your autobiography. Because all of the loss that you've endured, you were able to take that, not only you, but your siblings as well, mm -hmm. and make something of that. You all, the Johnson clan was stronger than its, its, than its, 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 its own excuses. Yeah. And th that is to be celebrated. And yes, there are going to be some dark times. And there are going to be some moments when you may feel sometimes a little bitter. But what happens and what you do with that moment, how you grow and understand that moment, you'll never achieve the outcomes that we so gratefully celebrate with you today if you let the dark moments win. Right. And I think that part, being able to persevere and see things through, is so important. And that includes the energy and the communities in which we surround ourselves with. And so now here we are looking at looking out, you know, Doc, and I don't know what 2021, 22, or whatever will bring. I used to be so excited to look forward, right? And say, I can't wait till next year. I can't wait till the fall because I get to do this or that. I'm done with trying to project a bit. I'm just trying to live and be. Yes. And so now, it, but it doesn't mean that we don't still have goals or aspirations, but I'm just trying to make sense and survey this landscape and make some light of what's going on. And I'm okay with that to some extent. But if someone were listening right now and tuned in, if they didn't hear any of these amazing words that you just said, what are some of the things that you want folks that they tuned in right now could walk away with just now from your life story, from your experience, from your heart? Wow. You know, I would say that we have to truly, again, uh, take an inventory of, of who we are, mm -hmm. um, what we've experienced, and truly allow that to be the impetus to what we will do and who we will become. And not allow society, not to allow, you know, family members or friends dictate our outcome. We have to truly learn our strengths, uh, our weaknesses, um, find ways to truly uh, connect with people who can be 
a, a strength to us and connect with people who can help us to fill many of those voids and to not be afraid of the challenge. And that is something that I would say, don't be afraid of the challenge. Challenges come, but those challenges are meant to strengthen us. And if we give up, then we've lost. We have done what everyone has said about us that we can't do it. You're too young to do it. You're too black to do it. You're mm -hmm. too gay to do it or, or whatever other affirmation people will say out there. So I say that you have to uh, really arrive uh, to a place where you know that you are fearfully and wonderfully right. made, that you possess the intellect, you possess, possess the strength, the grit, the resilience. And if you have all of those ingredients, then you can do anything that you set your heart to do. Mm. And I also, I'll add to that. Those, that was amazing. I also, folks, we have to be ready to work. Yeah. You know, we have to be, you know, be, be cognizant of what we ask for, right? Right. And so, but when it arrives, get ready to do the incredible work and, and to, to meet the expectations. And like you said, there's something that triggered here. There is growth in the challenge. Mm. There is always growth in the challenge. And I, I realize that more than ever. And the more that I sit here and, and I watch, we watch our elderly relatives and everyone age. And I sit here and I think to myself, wow, that could be, you know, what's going to be my story 20 years from now? Because as we know, time waits for no one. And so now with the time we have, what are we doing? What are we doing, right? And I think you said that very true. We're, we're growing, we're understanding, we're, we're, we're working in a space of empathy and understanding. We're looking and excited about curiosity. We're, we're understanding and supportive of one another, including our leaders. We're also engaging. We're not sitting complacently on the sideline, but we're making our contributions and there's plenty of work to do. And so now, Doc, I know that we're coming to the end of our segment, and there are two things I want to ask you that in particular. I know Phoenix College is doing some exciting stuff. What's up at Phoenix College? I would love to see what's going on at PC. What are some of the exciting things that even community members who are there, especially your community members who are listening, your president is really in, in touch with the community. What are some exciting things that PC is doing? Uh, that is a, a wonderful question. Even in the pandemic, we are still hard at work. Uh, we have uh, will open soon. September 18th is the opening of the new Maricopa uh, in IT Institute at Phoenix College. And this IT Institute will be the first one of its kind mm -hmm. in downtown Phoenix, serving our students who are uh, pursuing short-term certificates, long-term associate's degrees in cybersecurity, information technology. Wonderful. Because we know that there are a, a large number of IT companies in the Valley and companies that are coming to the Valley. So my goal was to ensure that we were able to skill up the incumbent workforce, but also to prepare the workforce for those industries, because that is a part of our mission um, as a community college. We are celebrating 100 years of excellence. Wow. So amazing founders. Congratulations. Day. Yeah, thank you so much. An amazing Founders Day program. Uh, we're using this opportunity to uh, launch our Founders Day um, inaugural, mm -hmm. we call it My Future Scholarship mm -hmm. for our students for mm -hmm. emergency funds, for scholarships. And we, we're just doing a lot of amazing work. Um, we are also uh, looking at ways in which we can re-envision who we are as a college. So we have implemented what's called the Neighborhood College Program. And this college program takes the college outside of the four walls and into the community. So one of our first launches was with the city of Phoenix. We were able to work with more, 
I would say the pilot is about 100 students and we are offering them associate's degrees at their place of work. Awesome. Removing the barrier of having to travel to campus to fight through traffic. So that was our re-envisioning of how do we really meet the neighborhood needs and the workforce needs. So we're doing some amazing, amazing work at the college through workforce innovations, our faculty and staff. Uh, recently, we were awarded of $3, uh, $3 million for a Title V grant as a Hispanic serving institution, about $4 million in STEM grants for NSF. Um, you know, awesome. work. I mean, it's just, a, just amazing, amazing work that this team is doing. And I attribute that all to the amazing faculty, the staff, the leaders, and certainly the students. We could not do this work if we did not have amazing students who are so driven who come to us with multiple, uh, you know, life experiences, but they have the grit and the resilience to do the work. So I'm just excited about the future of the college as we're beginning to write the next five-year strategic plan. I'm really excited about who we are in terms of our 100 years, but certainly who we will become. Congratulations to you and the family, students, faculty, staff, and administration yeah. of the Phoenix College community and at large, and to the Maricopa Community College System, an impressive large system as well, that is doing some incredible things on the west side of our incredible nation. Yeah. Dr. Johnson, anything that, how can we stay in touch? I mean, I already told folks about the places that I'll be placing you on everydayfolks.radio.com and who I'm supporting. Any other places or options folks can find or reach, reach out to you? Absolutely, so I am on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And that handle is PHX College Prez, and I spell Prez P R E Z. So that's PHX College spelled out and Prez P R E Z. And that's Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And they can also follow me on LinkedIn as well. And folks, I'd like to say thank you for listening to us today. And Dr. Johnson, I say thank you. I said it at the beginning, I'm gonna say it again. I am very proud of you and all that you've accomplished. I know that you have a supporter right over here on the East Side and many others who are very touched and grateful for your contributions. And I know that you will continue to inspire and transform lives and incredible work that you decide to do currently and then also in the future. And you also know this is not your last time here at the Everything Folks <laughs> Radio for Family. So we will be in touch with you for another reunion, just a touch base on some incredible things that you provide such insight. And we're so grateful for your time and for your consideration for our, our network. Thank you so much. Awesome, thank you so much, Billy, for all that you do um, and what you do for our community. And so I still feel, you feel very close to South Florida. So certainly I will say our community, uh, the stellar work that you're doing at Broward College, South Campus, and, and I'm just really amazed by your, your energy, your excitement, and just truly your passion for really giving a voice to the voiceless. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you as well. And we thank all of you for listening today to this segment of Everyday Folks Radio. Tune in at our, our, for our next segments. We have several shows coming up in the next week. All shows are archived, available in the Apple Store or on Google Play. And you can visit us at everydayfolksradio.com for more info. Until then, take care and thank you for listening to this segment.